relax. Don't mute it when you're about to podcast. God relax. Damn it. Don't mute it when you're about to podcast. Listeners, welcome back to a, our second episode of our season on erotic thrillers. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my good friends, Joe and Duff. I, uh, I grabbed a 10% beer for this one, just so everybody knows. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about uh, Brian De Palma's Body Double. And I, I, ch- I chose this movie for a handful of reasons. Some obvious, some maybe not. Okay. Um, one reason is I wanted to choose a movie... That is like an example of an earlier erotic thriller. So, you know, pre-Fatal Attraction kind of blowing open everything on like setting the template for how you make these movies and have them make money. So it's um, like it's like the Velvet Underground of erotic thrillers. Kind of, yeah. Not, ev- not everybody saw uh, Body Double, but everyone who saw Body Double made a direct-to-Cinemax movie. <laughs> and, and some people who saw uh, Body Double, I'm sure, were similar to people who maybe heard Velvet Underground for the first time and thought, what the hell was that? What is that the, was... <laughs> what do you think the Venn diagram is like of people who saw Body Double in the theater and own a trench coat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what percentage of people who have seen Body Double have an active restraining order against them? <laughs> Listen, you know, we all make mistakes. Is, um, bo- is Body Double what you went to see if, your town wasn't seedy enough to have like a red light district with a porno theater. Like if, like if you that, were in like Topeka or something in the, in 1984, right? Yep. I think, I think that's, that's a good point. I think we'll touch on that. Um, I also want to talk about like film industry in 1984 and some sort of like things that were changing in the industry that I think kind of allows for body double to exist and allows for erotic thrillers to thrive for the time they did. And then finally, I mean, this is the obvious one, guys. I want to talk about Brian De Palma. Mm. <laughs> you should just me too. Actually, you should just uh, you should get a sticker for your car. You know how people will be like, "Ask me about my grandkids." You should be ask, <laughs> <laughs> ask me about ask Brian me about De Palma. Brian De Palma. <laughs> oh man. I would just love it if your son had like a sticker on his binder. My dad's ask. My dad is a Brian De Palma honor viewer or something. Like that. <laughs> oh, I know. Okay, okay. Yep, yep. Well, before we jump into that, we need to talk about what like the plot of this movie. And here's the thing: I actually, you guys are disagree on this. I'm sure. I don't want to go too far into the plot of this movie because a, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't and, have one. And and b and b, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anyone who's never seen this because it's oh, not like I it's mean, a well-known movie. Uh, and there God. are twists and turns. There are uh, twists and turns. This is this is the only that this that's is accurate. This is the only time you've uh, foregone giving the plot of a movie, <laughs> and it's for this. It's a number one, well past the statute of oh yeah, of, you know, spoilerism. And second, like <laughs> what. Are you just going to jump into it? Because not many people have seen this. That's true. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Um, so uh, here, I'll sum it up. Uh, put Hitchcock movies in a blender and and then just like bake them in the sun for a while. So they're dumber. And that's what this is. 
Throw some yeah. cocaine in that blender too. Yeah, yeah. You take Hitchcock, um, let him, let him, let him take his pants off, which he always wanted to do. Uh, give him some cocaine, uh, put it in the sun, and throw some Scooby Doo in there. I'd mm-hmm. say add a traumatic brain injury as well. <laughs> uh, so the 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 story is about a struggling actor who we see in a in a vampire movie at the beginning. And uh, he he's he's he he's got claustrophobia. So he freaks out when he's in the coffin. It's so it's so <laughs> like that's okay. I, I don't want to like I don't want to be mean or negative. Um, I will say that those scenes are my favorite scenes in the movie. Is getting to see Dennis Franz of all people playing uh, the director, mm-hmm. and the guy in costume as a vampire like is legitimately really good. There's a lot of there's a lot of different genres. I feel like this movie bounces around, and it starts out with like <laughs> this weird vampire movie being made um, in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes, you know, this guy's, you know, he's got a job, he's he's doing stuff, and then he goes to bring his his girlfriend a hot dog, <laughs> like literally a hot dog, as you do. <laughs> and he walks in on her. I mean, the process of walking in on her takes 15 minutes. Listen. Yeah, this is De- his house, and he's acting as if he's never been there before. <laughs> he's taking it all in. De Palma likes to watch people walk. That's the thing. Um, and and uh, so he walks in and, and, and runs into, I mean, she's in the midst of uh, cheating on him. Or not in the midst. I mean, she's she's doing it. Um <laughs> What I do like about this is most movies, whenever someone catches someone cheating, they always, like, get out of bed right away, and there's just a lot of, like, screaming and blah. She just kind of like, ah, yeah. (laughs) Boogie Nights is also great at that when when he walks in on, well, several different times, but when he goes home, uh, when um, William H. Macy, is he Little Bill in that movie? Yeah. Yes. When he walks in. Yes. And she just yes. stops, and she's basically like, do you mind? <laughs> like, this, then, this, this dude's wife has so little respect for him that she just, like, she doesn't even apologize. She's like, yeah, this is happening. Well, she, I don't think it's his wife, but yes. Her, his, well, his he spouse. says she might as well be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is... I got yeah. a, an apartment and a dog. They're they're serious. Yes. Um. And so he's kind of off, you know, he's got to find a place to stay and he's, uh, loses his job at this, as the, as the vampire, cause he's afraid to be in a, in a coffin. Uh, and he meets a guy, meets a guy named Sam who's like, Hey, you know what, dude, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm house watching this house in the Hollywood Hills. Why don't you, uh, why don't, you know, I got to go to some I don't know. I gotta go somewhere for a job. Why don't you just stay here and water the plants? And it is a space needle UFO futuristic nonsense house. It is just more Hollywood cocaine energy. (laughs) And uh, he points out to him that uh, at midnight every night, there's this neighbor who does this whole sexy undressing dancing routine. And they've got this like telescope for watching her. So there's a yeah, high powered telescope, <laughs> like that which thing is, is like fancy. the size of a like a like canned fruit somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so you've got your you've got your Hitchcock window. You've got the vertigo stuff uh, with the with the uh, claustrophobia instead of vertigo, um, and uh, he starts watching her, and then there's this weird rubber faced. <laughs> He kind of looks like Tommy Wiseau. That's what I told Duff yes last night. I said it's like it was like Tommy Wiseau's been dead for ten years, and Doctor Frankenstein brings him back. It's so, one of my all-time favorite baddies. You're not you're not wrong about uh, Tommy Wiseau, but uh, I thought he looked like that giant henchman from The Rocketeer, who for some reason is seven feet tall and has a face made of rubber. He reminded He's, me of that dude. This guy has a look, and um, he sort of like. Our, our main character sort of, like, follows her, but in the idea of, like, making sure, being worried because she's being followed by this other guy. Listen, he's also horned, and that's why he's following he her. Is, he is horned up. Um, essentially, what ends up happening is he watches this woman get murdered by this dude, tries to save her, fails at it. The police are, like, you know, he's sort of in trouble too because he's a peeping tom this sort of weird and he has her underwear in his pocket (laughs) i don't even know how to explain the underwear in the pocket thing like i i mean (laughs) you should also explain the way she dies is oh (laughs) yes she so it's it's absolutely the most ludicrous home invasion scene i've ever seen in my entire life (laughs) and at one point a climactic moment is He's going towards her with this giant drill, like something you would drill into a giant concrete drill. with, or yeah. maybe metal. Yeah, it doesn't have the right drill bit for metal, I don't think. But uh, a drill, a drill you would use to fix the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she, he's walking towards her, and this this lasts, I would estimate, about thirty five minutes. He's walking towards her with it, and yeah. then um, she is briefly saved because uh, the cord is too short. Yeah, yeah, we've all been there when working on home projects. That that uh, I mean, that, this, that cord's a little too short. This is literally a Looney Tunes idea. I feel like <laughs> I feel like this that this happened to the coyote, and he was almost going to get the Roadrunner with a giant ass drill, but then the extension cord wasn't long enough. Fortunately for the killer, she then uh, trips over a couch and knocks herself out, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that was a pretty lethal couch trip there. But then uh, another cool thing happens. <laughs> Because the actual death is witnessed from the floor below. Yep. Uh, the what's the guy's the hero's name? It doesn't matter. Oh uh, it, no! Uh, I mean, you know he what? Is, he is Jake Scully. The only reason I remember this is yeah, this is uh, Dana Scully's loser brother that she never talks about. <laughs> Played by well, Craig Wasson, who if you don't know who he is, it's because he's nobody. He looks he looks like Breckenmeyer, and he. He is an all-time punchable face. In my he looks opinion. like Bill Maurer. This guy, yes, this guy's uh, this guy's a loser. So he uh, tried to rescue her, but got attacked by the house dog. <laughs> and then eventually he sees the drill bit go through the ceiling above him, and then blood starts pouring out of it. So let me tell you, I, I watched this with, with my wife. I watched this with my wife, and uh, overall, didn't love it. However, <laughs> whoa. However, during this scene, she was like, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> it's also important to mention that it is framed so that it's as as if he is metaphorically murdering her with his dick. It is a mm-hmm. very phallic drill, the way it's framed, coming because down between his legs you, into you, her backside. Yeah, you get a shot that's perfectly symmetrical, B 
behind him between his legs and you just see this giant drill penis coming down <laughs> to murder this woman. Yes. Yes. Um, anyways, um, so he tries, he runs over and grabs He's some random, useless. He, <laughs> random, yeah. random joggers and this whole thing happens. They finally, he's got her underwear in his pocket because he, when he watched her shop earlier, she threw some brand new underwear in the garbage and he picked it up and put it in his pocket as yep. you do. Yep. Um, we like to talk about fetishes on the show. <laughs> yeah. That's one I don't get. Underwear? Yeah. I don't got one. I don't want your underwear. Yeah. Like. You know, I don't. I guess I don't know if I really want to talk about. Well, it further, if, if but... a Patreon uh, at a hundred dollars a month will each send you a pair of our used underwear, <laughs> God, you could buy it through our OnlyFans. <laughs> um, and at this point, if this movie sounds nutty, it gets it We're gets about crazier. the halfway point. <laughs> it gets crazier because. At this point, he's pretty sad. He does what most people would do when this happens. This girl you liked and you've been peeping on ends up being murdered and you're maybe in charge of it. He gets drunk, gets on a circle bed that spins around and watches some pornography. Yeah, I mean... Can I just say, he did a bad job of keeping those plants alive. All he had to do (laughs) was spritz them after 6 o'clock and we see one of those plants is knocked over. It's just... He's a bad house guest. Um, and then, as he's watching it, he notices a porno actress named Holly Body. <laughs> Terrible name. Uh, who's played by Melanie Griffith. Um, and uh, <laughs> and she notices that she dances the same way that that woman was dancing in the window. A normal person would just be like, huh, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) So he decides, I better investigate. And he, in one of the wildest sequences, I would argue, of all time. In very quick time. (laughs) He goes to the porn studio and and, uh, says he wants to act. They do a line reading (laughs) of the movie. Of the movie, and then suddenly, the song "Relax" starts playing by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and it is a full-on music video that then turns into a scene from a porn movie. Yeah, and it, then it goes very quickly from <laughs> he's just some dude who walked in to a porn audition. Yep. To he is now making a porn with someone who's isn't she like the top? She's one- one Actress, of the yeah, Holly Body's a big deal. Yeah, so yep. think things progress very quickly. Things progress very quickly, and then he ends up, you know, essentially what ends up happening is he he figures out that this Sam guy who gave him this place set this whole thing up and had paid her to dance in front of the window so that he would be watching at midnight when someone goes and murders his his wife because it sam is the same guy as that woman's husband who was murdered if you're if you're stick keeping together on this congrats um so then he captures um the melanie the holly body character and then our hero in quotations goes to get him and it turns out 
And this is one of my favorite sequences of the movie because as I was watching my wife, she just starts yelling, Scooby-Doo! Scooby-Doo! <laughs> that this weird rubber-faced dude is actually the Sam guy yeah. who's been doing the murder, and then he's, like, stuck inside of, this, of the hole with her, and he can't get out because he's claustrophobic, but he gets through it, and then he wins the day with the help of this dog... <laughs> Once again, Scooby-Doo, he he digs a perfectly rectangular grave. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, at the end of the movie, we see that he's back to being the vampire in that movie. And And, uh, and has, which is followed by one of the most gratuitous examples of nudity in the history of film. Oh, yeah, of, of a body double. And the lit camera just shows her breasts for at least 45 seconds, just in close-up. Yeah, mm-hmm. during the credits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if all that sounds not interesting to you, then we're different people because <laughs> I'm all in. All that's fun. I, I think we need to stress that the, the, the um, catalyst for propelling all of this forward is this guy inviting this dude to house fit, and he's... And, I can't emphasize enough how funny this is. He's just like, dude, check out the best part. And then it's just two bros taking turns looking at a telescope at a naked lady. Uh-huh. Who, what, they had just met. That day. Within, like, that day, right? Yeah, that day. And yeah. here, here's the other part of it. Both of these dudes are, in you know, in their 30s, I would say. And uh, Yeah, I would say, yeah, probably like okay, 28 so, to 34, somewhere and, in here. Obviously, the one guy, uh, he broke up with his girlfriend. I don't know about the other guy, but uh, I'm, you he know, he said he was separated. Okay, so yep. you know, at the end of the day, Which is yeah, not it's, untrue. It's you know a little a little nudity. Everyone likes some nudity, but you know you get it from now and time and time again. Do, do you know what you don't usually get is to be in a weird house in the sky with a bed that turns three hundred and sixty degrees. <laughs> I like I. Like if you brought me up there and you'd be like, "Hey, there's a naked, there's a naked woman over across way," I'm like, "No, I'm kind of busy looking at this Jetsons house and just kind of taking it all in." It's, it's, it's in it's in it an absurdly over the top movie. And, and by the and by the way, that house is real. It's called the Chemosphere. Oh, really? It is a modernist house in Los Angeles, and I think at this point it's been. Uh, deemed a national landmark. I'm not sure if anyone what? lives. I can visit it. Um, but in in 1960, uh, there was an engineer, and I'm not making this name up, Leonard Mullen, <laughs> not Leonard Malton. Uh, he it, it was the equivalent of 1.2 million dollars in 2019, which really doesn't seem like that much. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a very big house. He was it's an engineer small. and just wanted to build this super modern futuristic house. Yeah. I respect that. And, and the way I can describe the aesthetic of the house is imagine a space needle, like the top of a space. Yeah. Needle. Yeah. That's what I was thinking but, too. But then it has the only way I know how to describe it as is like eighties aesthetic, which is generally like, this like a v- lot of blacks, a lot of matte blacks, a lot of like modernist red, like furniture, red accents, <laughs> red accents and carpet. Yeah. Um, 
so it's like this weird like kind of futuristic but also like not far from the 70s yeah so hopefully it hasn't burned down by now <laughs> but uh... it's, it's it's like how i imagine the restaurant at the top of the stratosphere in las vegas would probably look yeah it yeah, does it, and, it and does round. look like a vegas attraction uh yes, the other sure. thing the other reason that i i don't want to say recognize this but i got the reference is that uh I think there's at least one episode, maybe a couple on The Simpsons, where Troy McClure lives in this house. That, <laughs> I forgot about that. You're right. And wow. That's that's <laughs> what I recognized it from. And at first I'm like, oh, is that from Body Double? And partially, but yeah, this is a real thing that oh, hopefully, wow, I had no idea. hopefully is still standing after the exploding fireballs in Los Angeles and California. Um so so I kinda wanna talk about some of the the, the um the erotic thriller tropes that some of which I feel like this movie does have and some of which it like I said this is early hadn't quite been defined um one we just talked about real estate you got to have that awesome real estate show me show me show me some absurdly cool looking and weird things we have this in the space needle house even the mall to some extent I would say is just like very upscale like very interesting mall oh yeah that's a that fancy they mall to. they have a valet mm-hmm yeah, that's true. I've never been to a mall with a valet. Um, and and so, like, you sort of have that. Um, here's my question for you guys. I had sort of used, like, the Wesley Morris definition on this and that uh, it's an erotic thriller if there's no movie without the sex. So here's the thing on this movie. Yeah, I don't think that's true for this one. Yeah, there's not, like, <laughs> as much nudity as there is in this movie. The only sex we see in this movie that's not pornography sex, like literally sex in a porno movie, is when he walks in on his girlfriend. Does that mean we don't have to talk about this anymore? <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> so I and, will I will make the argument, and I have no idea if this uh, was actually De Palma's intention. Uh, you could argue that, as we noted, the the drill death is uh is very sexual and mm-hmm. one one could argue that that murder um just in the way it's framed and the murder tool it's with is so f- phallic and sexual that that becomes sex and and you could i mean the other way you could argue is that the fact is a lot of this there's not you know our hero doesn't have sex but there's a lot of watching Right, there's a lot of like watching sexual things or being sexually turned on by things he's watching. Yeah. Well, yeah, it could be like um, instead of the the catalyst for it being intercourse, like the catalyst is for someone being like repeatedly cuckolded. Yeah, and, kind of. I and, mean, like just being, and and like if he gets off on that, then I guess in a way it's sex, right? Or it's sexual. Yeah. it's sexualized. I buy. Yeah. Yes, I buy that. Yeah. Um, uh, one other interesting thing is like, uh, I mentioned how a lot of these movies, it tends to be like upper class people. And like, obviously the woman he's watching is upper class, but the other characters that are involved in this are decidedly not in that class. They're just like vacationing in it from time to time. Yeah. Or, and the protagonist is just a struggling actor. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is the definition of hapless. Like he's just, just a a boob. He went to the (laughs) absolute boob. He went to the uh, acting class for losers from Barry is where he went. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like that's yeah, what that, it, <laughs> that whole sequence reminded me of Barry, except that we're supposed to take this seriously. 
what I kind of also want to talk about is, um, and Duff, I'm gonna need your your vast Hollywood knowledge on this, but in 1984, this the fact that we start having erotic thrillers, right? I mean, this is you could go back farther, like. Um, I know Duff, you've mentioned it before, but like cruising to some extent is as well. And that's mm-hmm. a, that's a few years before this, but essentially what we have happening is we have to first have this this change in Hollywood, and that now you can show sex in movies. Now it wasn't new in 1984, but it had started changing. I mean, even like you know you have like Kubrick films in the 70s that have a lot of nudity, and you have like more and more of these like nude. Um, naked people in movies. Duff, why? What? What's the like dominoes that fell for this to happen? To go from like Hayes Code to like Body Double in 1984. Uh well, the Hayes Code was a self-imposed uh, set of rules. So Hollywood so, regulating itself. Yeah, because they were afraid that the government was going to come in and do it. So this was why in old movies. Um, with some exception, but almost always, good guys win. Evil, you know, evil is vanquished or conquered, or at least punished or seen in a bad light. Uh, people would sleep in separate beds, etc. And that lasted until, <clears throat> I mean, the big killer and the reason for the Hayes Code was that up until 1952, films didn't have uh, First Amendment protection. They're just okay. viewed as a product, so it's like you know, some it's just product that you could ship or buy, and potentially you could get in trouble if you showed a movie that did not have the Hayes Code seal or whatever. And in reality, this was just all you know, kind of a big grift for Hollywood to make itself more money. Um, but it was putting on this illusion of upstanding morality. Um, but then what happened, and I'm just, I'm ignoring a lot of stuff, but in, yeah, that's in the early 50s, um, there was this, I believe it's a foreign Italian movie called The Miracle that depicted an abortion, and it okay. went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court deemed that motion pictures had freedom of speech, and that's really, like, the next 16, 15, 16 years is kind of like, well, what do we do now? And there was just... Yeah. <laughs> You know, like some stuff would start pushing the envelope, and then in 1968, you get the 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 rating system, and the first one was so it was G, P, G, M, and X. But back then, X was like not necessarily pornographic; it was like Midnight Cowboy. It was just so intense and serious. Um, and then, yeah, that 1968 is when you really started getting. Uh, nudity in like mainstream Hollywood like the art house theaters had been doing it but this was the first time like you could go to a just the regular theater in your town and maybe see something like Last Tango in Paris or something like that and then a little later on in the 70s you start having like legit porno films start to like become minor hits of like Deep Throat yeah America got so depressed in the 70s that uh, Deep Throat was like date night (laughs) yeah yeah um so all that sort of happens which allows that like this sort of thing happens but here's um what i think is interesting is you really don't see erotic fillers take off until vhs until all of a sudden like people can like take these movies home (laughs) 
and and watch them in the privacy of their own home and and i think that's where like i mean that you know that's a movie like body double and all this other stuff comes through is it's one thing to like so for the people who are, who are embarrassed to see body double in the theater <laughs> well kind of yeah or even like it's just like a lower threshold right like it's one thing for me to like you know go to the movie theater and see this it's another thing for me to be like well i'm renting some movies tonight we'll watch you know here's a kid's movie and then here's a movie for my wife and i to watch and then once she goes to bed i'll watch this <laughs> what do you mean you can't <laughs> watch it with your wife well you could too but i'm just saying that, like i feel like that's what ends up happening because you see a lot of these erotic thrillers um they might not have done well at the box office but you know they ended up like always having a long life uh at the video store i i think that you're I, I, I think couples watch these movies together a lot. Well, sure, I agree. I mean, I'm just saying in general, though. I mean, yes, couples. Yeah, I mean, watch you're just it making well. it sound like renting Basic Instinct was just for like lonely pervs. And I don't. No. Really, I don't really think that that's what the market was. No, I, I was no, talking nothing more against of, being a lonely perv. <laughs> well, I was talking more about there, this movie. I think there's a little of both, but yeah. Um, but I do think that's a that's I don't know. I think that's a lot of it, and I think that's you know in some ways erotic thrillers are solving an industry problem uh, as well because I try to think that's what's interesting in this movie is you actually have when he learns about Holly body and they talk about like her new her new movie um, which <laughs> such a great cool- trailer commercial or whatever it is so good uh and i think it i forgot there's some quote they have like quotes from the critics but like holly body keeps keeps it where it needs to be in the gutter or whatever which (laughs) could be a review of this movie too um and and you know they mentioned like you can go to this local theater and see it or or you can go and rent it and i think like that also changes things too because you know all of a sudden porno movies are now things you can just go and get from the video store now it's pretty easy for hollywood to be like oh why don't we just kind of do that but instead of like watching porn stars you get to see you know your favorite actors or actresses engaged in sex which is like a pretty titillating thing in general but then you add it that you know the adults who are watching that grew up in a world where that was a thing you could never see yeah i i think there's something to that um and yeah, I think part of it is it's aiming for people who are maybe, number one, maybe too afraid to go to an actual adult theater, or number two, maybe don't have one in their town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all remember, you know, I, I uh, there's that, that great moment in this, well, great moment, this moment in this movie where he goes to that video store and he's like, where, do you, like, he just do you have Holly does Hollywood? <laughs> And they point to like the little adult room, which God, I forgot about those rooms. But what a what a thing that we got to live through. But other generations usually there, don't. Usually there was a curtain. Yeah, <laughs> like a curtain, yeah. A, a black curtain. I never got to go in one. I only did once. I got in high school, and I had a friend that like worked at one of the video stores, and I he was like, "Yeah, why don't you just go back there?" And I felt okay doing it then because like I knew the person who was working, and no one else was in the store. <laughs> I went into. It wasn't even a video store, but we had um, this chain of stores called Shinders. Which Shinders. Shinders sold. Did you get s- on their list? <laughs> they were. They sold. Uh, they sold like baseball cards, magazines, and then the back room. Uh, they had adult material. So, like, the front was for like people in their second year of Boy Scouts, and the back was for the people that molested them. <laughs> 
I mean, I will I just... say, I will say, you got all ages because one half of the store was like, you know, this was before the internet. So if you had, if you wanted to get a, a kind of rare off, you know, magazine, like this was the place where you went to get like a very niche hunting magazine or tech magazine or something. So okay. it was like, so it was like a newsstand, but then it also had like sports cards. There's also a humidor, a walk-in humidor for cigars. <laughs> And then there was dudes there, rock man. And then was, there was, and then there was the back room for adult movies. It had everything. It had the toys of all for all ages there. It's you know, that's another thing about these movies is you, you know to rent Body Double or Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction or any of these or you know Body of Evidence or whatever. You don't need to go in that back room. Yeah. You got spared that, but you I can just say grab it com- off the shelf. compared to Body Double or Basic Instinct, if you rent Fatal Attraction, you're going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, and and um, early, you know, these early erotic thrillers, for the most part, and, and Body Double to some extent is that as well. They're just remakes, right? Like, there's nothing that clever. It's just like, oh, what if, you know, Body Heat is double demnity, but like, what if they were naked? And Postman yeah. always drinks it's twice. Just, let's and, like, let's remake this. some classics, but make them sleazy and dumb with a lot of boobs. Yeah, make it sexy. Uh, and that's kind of what Hollywood did in this like early, early erotic thriller era. Um, so yeah, that's part of the reason I wanted to choose Body Double. The other thing I want to talk about is, um. Melanie Griffith. You guys have Melanie Griffith takes? No. I I honestly look through her filmography and I've seen a sh- it's someone who's been famous and I always knew of, but just I've only seen like two movies with her. Yeah, same. Which it's, it's like just totally irrelevant now, you know, like I don't well, really think yeah. any of her work has had much staying power. She was always kind of the poor man's Meg Ryan, too. Yeah. Uh, kind. Of, yeah, I suppose. I mean, she had like a run of like eighty, like from starting with Body Double, which is really her like the one nice thing people really working said about this movie when it came out. Working Girl is her big one, isn't it? Yeah, I would say Body Double to Working Girl, and then the other movie that's really good is Something Wild. She's really great in, and that's with Jeff Daniels, and has and directed by Jonathan Demi, and that's like that's a really good movie. And there's like, I don't know, I, I it's sort of like somewhat newish to me. I've seen I've seen those three movies. Um. But there is like I don't know. There's, there is like there's no one quite like Melanie Griffith, and I she's an actress I get why people would hate. She's got this like high pitched voice, but she's got these I don't know. She's interesting. She's an interesting actress in my mind, just because she seems she's just different. Um, I also think it's weird how everyone knows who she is, even though she was never in that many big hits. Yeah, yeah. yeah part of that is. I'm not. I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but she's been married to very, very famous men too. Yeah, um, Don which, Johnson. Well, also, I mean, I'm I'm guessing you know this stuff, but her, you know, that's what makes her casting this movie more interesting. She's Tippi Hedren's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose then, that's true. So she's been famous forever. And then her daughter is Dakota Johnson, who oh, stars yeah, in yeah. the fifty in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Yep. So like. <laughs> Full circle. That's fascinating. I'm fascinated by all of that. Um, and then, I don't know, do you guys want to discuss this? We kind of already went over it, but this relaxed music video that plays in the middle of this movie? It makes no sense. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> understand it. You Even, guys not entertained by it? I mean, I was... 
I was more just confused. Like I, yeah, yeah I was kind of entertained, but I was more of just, uh, I, you know, I knew that it was there because of eighties excess, but it doesn't even make sense in the context of the film. It's like half music video, half porn video. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's a pretty good segue to, was it uh, in there for just money? Like to get the song, no. and the soundtrack. Oh, okay. No, no, not really. So, um, this is Brian De Palma's up to Scarface. Yeah. And is amazing that he made this piece of crap after <laughs> that huge hit. Like it just is w- such such a weird follow up. But I guess we're gonna get into that later. Well, I mean, I think so. Essentially, this is a movie where the studio was like, "All right, <laughs> you you're the producer of this. Do whatever you want to do." And and he did. And uh, he he's quoted as saying that like it was awesome until they saw it. <laughs> And I, that's partly why I think this movie is so fascinating because it's just like Brian De Palma at his most De Palma-ish. Like this is De Palma being like, what if you let me do whatever I want and this is what you get, which we already explained as like the coked up Hitchcock without and his pants on. And the weird on. thing is it's not exactly like his previous movies have been restrained. It's not as no. if, like, like he says, his previous movie was Scarface, Carrie from almost 10 years earlier dress to kill is just full of blood and gore Mm -hmm. it's so it's weird usually people they use that card to do their weird i mean this is a weird vanity project but i don't get why it's he wasn't exactly he was already kind of pushing boundaries so there's uh, so there i don't know if you guys have seen it but i would recommend it even if you're not a de palma fan but there is the documentary de palma which is essentially him talking about his movies for 90 minutes, which honestly sounds terrible. Yeah, I, I'm angry just at <laughs> the idea of subjecting myself to 90 minutes of that. After reading what he said about this movie, I... Ugh. But I enjoy it because he's not... I don't think Brian De Palma would ever be like, I'm an artist. I make art. I don't think he thinks that at all. And that he sort of like comes off that way in this documentary, which makes him more lovable to me. He thinks he's a, he thinks he's one of the best filmmakers of all time. There's no doubt about that. Like, I don't think he, that's he, true. He, he talks about himself in the same breath as like uh, Stanley Kubrick. And like at, at times in interviews, like he talks about his skill in like navigating spaces and camera movement and stuff. And oh, I, I would say I, he is as good as anyone at that. Well, but, but I, well, I, as like I, a craftsman, I think he is. I, I, sure. I think I don't I think, think so at all. I think as a pure technical showman, he's great. Yeah, uh, for sure. He is. He is definitely a person where the more you hear him talk, the more you hate him. Uh, and at least I haven't seen the movie. I've read interviews with him, and he co- he comes off as sometimes I don't know if he's just trolling. Like he might. I do kind of get that he just enjoys like effing with people by giving weird quotes which part of me think that's funny um yeah but i don't know he just he falls into the tarantino mold to a certain degree for me and i'm just speaking personally is that it's kind of like weirdo dudes who are too into video culture and are remarkably remarkably skilled at showing people how many movies they've seen but they don't a lot of the time the results are just kind of cold and hollow that's interesting i i i I mean i haven't i guess i haven't 
I can't think of any like uh, interviews I've read with him, but in that documentary, which obviously it's called De Palma, so it's a documentary, it's crafted. Um, I found him to be super likable, a dude that says holy mackerel a lot. Um, just like a guy who like one of the few maybe filmmakers in print that would he just actually, comes off as pretentious because that's maybe and it may be also just the way a documentary is crafted but in, in that documentary he seems like a, a rare filmmaker I would actually want to talk to which is not a very long list because hmm. I don't want to hear someone like talk to me about their art I want them to just tell me stories and that's way more interesting to me um, so he's but, I don't know for me like and I guess I don't I forgot if this was on the agenda but the reception to this movie when it came out was not great it was yeah Ebert and Kale liked it and really no one else but essentially this movie's reputation has kind of grown through the years and I don't really know why <laughs> I'm kind of puzzled by it so it's it's interesting you say that I, I Duff, you and I watched this movie in college many years ago, and I loved it then. Yeah, I've been a captive and, audience twice to this nonsense, thanks to you. <laughs> and I, I still watch, love it on rewatches, on this rewatch. Um, and I, Duff and I are big Letterbox fans, and you know, a lot of times when I finish a movie, I will go read it. And um, it's interesting on this one because I like this movie for different reasons than a lot of the top reviews. Like a lot of the top reviews sort of talk about this as if. As if this is like, you know, this is De Palma, like showing Hollywood how the line between Hollywood and pornography is barely there. And sort of like uh, it's, he's playing with the medium and doing And I, I'm just like, listen, I don't believe De Palma's thinking that at all. I think no he's way. just like, this is fun. How about if I did this? And even in that De Palma His previous doc, movie had a dude getting chainsawed to death in a bathroom. Yeah, so. like... It's nonsense. And even in this documentary, when he's talking about this movie, he literally says, he says, when I, when I make movies, I don't like most people start with like a plot or characters and then build around it. And he's like, I start with like an idea and structure and different scenes I want to do. And then I just fill in the rest. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what his movies are. Yeah, that yes, yes. Okay. In that way. Yes, that makes sense. Because, because his movies don't make sense. (laughs) I agree. That makes sense. (laughs) But I mean, I I find joy in that. I enjoy that. I enjoy just I, like because a lot of times I just want, I just want to be entertained for ninety to one hundred twenty minutes, and and I don't really care about other things. And and De Palma is titillating, and he does fun scenes that I remember. And is there nonsense in there? Absolutely. But like to me, it's like, it's like an airplane book, right? It's like it's fine. I I was entertained and enjoyed it. And I would read it again and also be entertained and enjoyed. And that's the itch he scratches for me. So I will I will just say I get why people like this movie. It's the same as, like, for me, it's like this movie and it's ilk are like slasher movies where I like slasher movies even though they're stupid for many, many reasons. Uh, but, yeah, I get it even though this did not do it for me. Okay. I will say that I I get that he is capable of making movies that are like that, that offer that fun. Um, I I think this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Okay. But, but I think that what this movie gives you, I think that that blowout provides that service to me. 
Ah, that's another one. Roll it straight. So I would say that like body double is like rear window for the dumbest people <laughs> imaginable. And by someone who just absolutely does not seem to care about story or characters or anything other than it just seems like after Scarface, he's just completely like lost on his own supply and is just trying to shock for the sake of shocking. And and I, I thought this movie was horrible with some good parts. I mean, so there were some moments that were amused me, which I've already I, mentioned. So I will say that this, the second half for the last 50 minutes, I found while silly and uh, problematic and whatnot, I found that more interesting and fun than the first half. The first half is dire. The first oh. half is absolutely awful. And that, and maybe, maybe that's, maybe I was just checked out and maybe I, I didn't give the second half enough of a chance, which well, is possible. But my point is that, the tone that, shifts wildly after about the yeah right right before the murder. Like you know she's yes. going to get murdered, but even then the murder itself, like the whole tone of it. Anyway, and 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 I think like so this is ba- like I said, it's just a remake of Rear Window, but horny, hornier. I shouldn't say Rear Window is kind of horny too. Um, yeah, but um, but Blowout is is the exact same thing with it, it's just a remake of Blow Up. Um, yep, but. But in that case, I think Blowout like is smart in the way it does the exact same thing that Bobby Body Double does, in that it it takes that same exact story, but instead of using blowing up an image, it it uses like you know, like isolating a sound effect, right? <laughs> Which is mm-hmm. technically yet different, but but it takes itself so much less seriously than the original source material, but it still provides a co- like it's it's still like well-crafted and but also fun like john lithgow is an absolutely hilarious and awesome villain in that movie agreed and 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 it's just really really fun and what i was hoping was that this movie was going to try to do because basically do something similar because i i think in rear window has been basically remade several times there was that uh shia labeouf movie a few years ago too yeah so I, I guess I was, I was th- I've been thinking about this all day. Ooh, I don't know why, but I, I just think that my take on Brian De Palma is that he thinks he's David Bowie, uh, where he is is taking these interesting things that other artists do and then making it his own and crafting good commercial films out of it, while also still finding a way to be original and be interesting, which is how I would. That sounds really. That probably doesn't make sense, but I, you, I know you guys know what I mean when I'm talking about David Bowie. Sure. But what he actually is is the Darkness, <laughs> uh, a band that is is just as derivative, but only managed to make a couple good things. <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I just find myself just so often disappointed by him. But, but everyone loves him. Like tons of you got like, tons of filmmakers love. Him I know, too. and I, it just, and it. So I think that makes it even more infuriating for me because I keep coming out of these movies feeling so cold about them and then it just makes me doubt myself because like I must be missing something but I've I've never been fully on the De Palma train at best he's you know I was trying to think about it and it's been a long time since I've seen the first Mission Impossible but I'd probably and I haven't seen Blowout but I'd probably say you know I've seen 
maybe half a dozen De Palma movies, and even the my favorite of them, like yeah, that's was good. Like and absolutely none of them. Well, the last third of Carrie, I would call great, but <laughs> kind of like this movie, like everyone washes over it. There are some awful parts yeah. in, in Carrie. Like anything that focuses on not Sissy Spacek or Piper Laurie, like <laughs> like. John Travolta and his girlfriend going to slaughter a pig or something. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like I'm being gaslit. But to be fair, Joe, outside of like 80s Schwarzenegger movies, you don't really like dumb movies that much. Uh, Could not be more untrue. (laughs) I I, I love dumb movies. Bring them on. So my my final kind of thought on... You know, I tried to think about it. I'm like, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Duff, but Duff, what did I tell you? I watched to restore my love of cinema after oh, Body Double was over. Uh, point Break. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally, yeah. seconds after it was over, I turned on Point Break because I was like, I need something that makes me happy. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is true for De Palma in general, but I think it's the most true for this movie. Is I was thinking like, well, why, you know, why are Vertigo or Rear Window or whatever? great um i was thinking of the review that uh kale and ebert did where they said that it's just pure filmmaking because of the craft and the skill and the whatnot i'm like okay i'll entertain that argument and i'll think about hitchcock and i'm like so why do i enjoy the hitchcocks but not this and there's you know there's more than one reason i'll say that but one a a big reason is that hitchcock's like all right I'm going to put the biggest suavest star in the world in this. Yeah. And, and, sure. and this movie, like, yes. doesn't, doesn't it feel like this guy's name should be Cody? <laughs> oh yeah. Craig, this guy, this guy, and, and I guess, did he have to do that? Like he could have gotten all the money he wanted, right? After Scarface. Yeah. He could have, yeah, I'm sure he probably could have like, casted. The Hitchcock <laughs> Originally would, Hitchcock would get Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart or someone. And De Palma cast this Breck and Meyer looking chud. Uh, speaking of casting, originally De Palma wanted to actually cast a porno actress in the role that Melanie Griffith was in, and the studio had a fit about it. They were very upset. They're like, you cannot do that. So that was one thing they interfered in. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I even read Brian De Palma's book that came out called Are Snakes Necessary, which is like a 200-page turner of absolute trash is it and i love it non-fiction oh fiction. that one that came out like earlier this year yep oh. yep super fun uh just just sleazy underbelly trash and i read it in two hours two or three hours like i we were driving back from virginia and my wife was driving and i read the entire thing in one sitting uh i'm all in i just i i i am un apologetically okay with being titillated (laughs) so the only other question i have left on this is um you watch this movie and all the sex in it uh or sex or nudity in this are are we are we more conservative about sex now than we were in 1984 from like a media standpoint i didn't understand this question like why do you think that well um think of how sex was shown in these erotic thrillers and think of how sex is shown now as, like, m- more realistic in movies and often played for a joke. Uh, I think it's because people don't need 
like movies because the internet came around yeah i think part of it is everyone has an adult movie theater in their phone but i think also it just shifted to tv like tv has has this kind of stuff now like hbo and showtime and cinemax and and uh so the that sort of people look for that kind of like trashy stuff from television i don't think they look for it for movies anymore and and we've talked about this a million times but they also just don't make movies for adults anymore so no. any movie that is marketed just for adults is going to go for like a classier more educated not that you have to be dumb to like movies like this um i don't mean it that way but but movies that are marketed you know to exclude teenagers and children they're trying to win academy awards or they're going for like the art house crowd and stuff like that so i just don't think that there's a market for people that want to go pay 13 dollars to see a movie like this in the movie theater anymore because you can get that titillation elsewhere and you can get it in an even more private manner so you can <laughs> yeah. tisk, tisk this for being filth and then open up an incognito tab later tonight and it's okay <laughs> yeah i mean look think about like game of thrones it it has boobs galore and the only narrative, the only function of those is to do the same thing that it, the, the provide the same function that it provides in body double or movies like that. It's just like, actually oh. I would, I would say it's a little different because the thing that game of Thrones um, did famously is just would have scenes of exposition and be like, we just have naked people around. So that's <laughs> not so boring anymore. Yeah. Whereas like body double and like these things, it's actually part of the story where most of the time in like game of Thrones is just like, listen, uh, Littlefinger's got some stuff to say, and it's pretty boring. So just have some naked people by him while he says it. Yeah, it's a sex position. Um, but yeah. but also, I just mean like shows like that, like that, uh, prestige, like prestige TV on pay cable. You know, that's that's where people go for their gratuitous nudity, and yeah. they can go a step farther than even Hollywood is willing to go. Like HBO, you want to you want to have a dong flopping around in a scene? They'll do it. <laughs> They don't you care, want, but like it's it? still pretty. You want to have a, a large blue dong on a? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's you still pretty watch rare men? for a Hollywood film to have a penis in it. Yeah. Yes, because movie it theaters is. are still pretty scared about stuff like that. Well, they're not going to be around much longer, <laughs> so we don't need to worry about what movie theaters think anymore. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add about uh, Body Devil or early erotic thrillers? I'm thinking about the male gaze is like. I, I don't know that the to- I think the tone of the movie is that this guy is absolutely pathetic, you know. Yes. And and like yeah. I don't think that the tone, like the point of view of the film of the filmmaker or, or the artist here, is that like what he's doing is cool. I think the tone of it is that it's weird and creepy, and he is like punished over and over again for it. Yeah, with like the underwear in the pocket as a good example. Yeah, like, I mean, like why, I think that the this? cop is the audience surrogate, right? That's just calling yeah. him a weird perv and that he should go yeah, to jail. What are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for That's sure. A good point. Uh, absolutely, I agree. Whereas, I like, agree. if you compare that to Rear Window, and and again, I mean, like, we should be able to watch old movies without having to like litigate them every second we're watching them. But but I but I, it's also important to like be aware of this stuff. Um, I guess he's kind of chastised a little bit, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, but but he's not made to look nearly as pathetic. <laughs> so I guess that's a point in this movie's favor, is it's like let's just show how the guys like this really are. I mean, he's yeah, no matter how you you put it, he's 
a peeping tom. There's there's a, the moment in that movie at one point when my and and uh, my wife mentioned this too, but when he first notices our like <laughs> leather face bad guy. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, like, wait, what? That guy's watching her. Like, he's almost like, I can't believe that guy's just staring at her, getting undressed, as he's, you yeah. know, staring at her, getting undressed. Um, and, and but I guess a point in the other direction though is things do work out for him just fine. Yeah, yeah. So they I do. Um. All right. Well, uh, listeners, we are going to move to a movie from one that you probably haven't seen in this to one that I'm absolutely sure you've probably seen is Basic Instinct. So we're going You're at least to aware the, of it. By the goat. The top of the mountain. By the, the top of the mountain in this. The goat, Paul Verhoeven, one of my favorite directors of all time. I'm really excited yes. to talk about it. And um, and writer uh, Joe, uh, how do you say his name? Sh- Joe sh- Esteras. Yes, which we'll have to talk about him. Because, oh, one thing I want to point out as we're talking about directors is I was listening to something and uh, we kept, I kept saying Adrian Lynn. I think it's Adrian Line from last week. So apologize, I apologize to you, Adrian. I'm still excited. For <laughs> and and another thing I discovered since then is uh, he directed a remake of Lolita, and we didn't mention that. Oh, <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. So uh, that okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, actually, a quick connection here. Uh, he directed Footloose, which De Palma, before he did Body Double, they really wanted him to do Footloose. Uh, that studio really wanted <laughs> okay. him to do Footloose uh. after Scarface, and he was like, which is like a weird thing to have him do Footloose, especially like after Scarface. Did they um, want Footloose to be really horny? Yeah, it would have been incredibly horny. Well, it is kind of, it is kind of horny, I'm... but just more repressed than De Palma would have allowed it to be. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one final thing. Do you guys know what De Palma fouled this movie up with as his next project? Uh, it's a DeVito movie, right? Mm-mm. Nope. Close. It's, it, he did Dancing with in the Dark music video. Oh. Um, I thought you meant his next movie. That's right. Well, yeah, it's a project. Uh, but yeah, it's a strict question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> filmed at the old uh, St. Paul Civic Center. Shout out. Yep. 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 Oh, Courtney open, Cox. Opening night of the Born in the USA tour. From Hitchcock to Cox. Um... <laughs> All right. Well, uh, listeners, as always, you can go to a uh, patreon.com slash the midnight boys. We are, depending on when this comes out, we will have a, uh, we're doing a, a new thing where when we have a season of this, we're going to do an, uh, an after dark episode on a, um, on a erotic thriller. So as of now, uh, if you want to pay $2, you can listen to the three of us and Meeks talk about disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Unfiltered. It happens to men too, ladies. We get sexual, (laughs) sexually harassed too. Oh my god! Uh, So, and like I said, we'll be back next week with a new episode on erotic thrillers and talking about Basic Instinct.